the key is that it needs to be well-planned. And so that's something in their position paper about vegetarian diets. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics states that a well-planned plant-based diet is healthy for all stages of life, including pregnancy, including lactation, but it's got to be well-planned. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast. I'm Maya Acosta, and I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. When it comes to pregnancy, there are many questions and concerns regarding the best diet for yourself and your baby. Today's episode is all about nutrition during pregnancy, prenatal vitamins, and changes in the body. We will also discuss alleviating common pregnancy symptoms like nausea, constipation, and itchy skin. Kaylee Anderson has been practicing plant-based nutrition for over 10 years. She's the lead faculty for ACLM's Food as Medicine course and secretary of their Women's Health Interest Group. She's also in her second trimester of pregnancy, so she's the ideal person to speak to us about being on a plant-based diet while pregnant. Kaylee was on a couple of episodes ago discussing the Women's Health Workshop that she will present at the upcoming Lifestyle Medicine Conference along with Dr. Michelle Thompson and Dr. Mahima Gulati. Stick around because Kaylee will share lots of tips and resources that you will not want to miss. As always, the full bio and the links for each of my guests are found on the website, healthylifestylesolutions.org. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast. And so I have with me again, registered dietitian Kaylee Anderson. She's been on the show a couple of times, and I'm excited that today she's coming on to talk about concerns that expectant mothers may have. We'll learn everything about, you know, what is the right thing to eat, how much should you eat and all of that. And as you know, Kaylee has over a decade of experience in plant-based nutrition, culinary education, and lifestyle medicine. She's a registered dietitian, and she shows people how to live healthier lives. She believes in a plant-based lifestyle, um, that it should be simple, pleasurable, and sustainable. And she has worked with folks from all walks of life, but she specializes in supporting women on their plant-based journey. She's the founder of the brand new site, Plant-Based Mavens, a hub for women to get evidence-based, practical, and woman-centered guidance on plant-based based nutrition and cooking, hormone health, fertility, pregnancy, movement, mental well-being, non-toxic living, and so much more. And as a matter of fact, last time she was on, we learned about personal care products and how they may be affecting our health. So welcome back, Kaylee. Hi, Maya. Thank you so much for having me again. Yes. Well, this is exciting because I hardly cover this topic. And I'm so excited that you're the one that's going to be talking to us about ways that pregnant mothers can take care of themselves. And actually, those individuals who may not have heard you on the show before, tell us a little bit about yourself. You do a lot as it is in the plant-based community, and that's very exciting. But yes, please tell us about yourself. Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, so I, um, in addition to what you shared, I am also lead faculty of the ACLM Food as Medicine course and secretary of their women's health group as well. Uh, So there's a lot of great women's health work going on there. 
And I'm trained in women's integrative medicine, lifestyle medicine, intuitive eating, and cooking. And so I like to kind of pull from all of those different areas when I work with people. And then one of my favorite things that I do is Plant-Based Mavens, which is a website, as you mentioned, that offers a bunch of free resources for women on various women's health topics. Thank you for that as well. Yeah. So I start to tell you that Dr. Christy Van Wenden came on the show and we really focus on preconceptual health. So all the things that women can do throughout their lives before conceiving so that they can optimize their pregnancy. I was wondering if there are any tips in that field, in that category that you'd like to add before we talk about actually being pregnant. Sure. Yeah. So Christy is a wonderful physician and she actually teaches one of the food as medicine courses on preconception health that I mentioned. Um, So I'm sure that episode is jam-packed with information, but kind of in general, the preconception period is you know, really a time for preparing for the demands of pregnancy. So a lot of women enter pregnancy with deficiencies in many different nutrients. And many of those nutrients are critical in the earliest days of pregnancy. So folate, for example, helps with neural tube development. And the neural tube actually closes in the first or after four weeks um, after conception. So having enough folate right away before most women even know that they're pregnant is really important. So that preconception period is really about kind of getting ready, preparing your body, making sure that you don't have any deficiencies. And then of course, kind of mentally getting ready for that big transition as well. I think one of the things that we mentioned as well in terms of self-care before you become pregnant is that most pregnancies, at least the first pregnancy, might be unplanned. So women suddenly have to figure out Not only they find out the news that they're expecting, but how do I take care of myself? What am I supposed to eat? Can I exercise? I'm sure they have a lot of concerns. So let's talk about that since you do specialize in nutrition. Why is nutrition important during pregnancy? Sure. Yeah. So I'm sure that Christy probably touched on this with preconception health, but what a woman is eating and what her health looks like during pregnancy can actually shape the health of the next generation because it can actually shift epigenetics. So being really, you know, well and healthy, as healthy as you can be during that time, you're really setting your child up for a healthier life as well. Lower risk of chronic diseases in their adulthood, for example. So it's amazing the ripple effect that those practices during pregnancy can have. Um, One of my favorite things about pregnancy nutrition is that baby's taste buds actually develop in utero. So whatever mom is eating, baby is actually tasting through amniotic fluid and then later through breast milk. And so, you know, mom is really setting baby up for kind of taste preferences and and things and later in their life. And there was actually a really cool study that had moms drinking carrot juice either during pregnancy or during the early days of postpartum when they were breastfeeding. And those babies that experienced the moms drinking carrot juice actually showed a preference for the carrot flavor when they started eating solids. So you're really kind of shaping their palate in many ways, which is really cool. It really is. I'm so glad that you bring that up. I'd love for people to know about that. Now, you just touched on something that was new to me as well. But I guess we learned this the more we dive into plant-based foods and the science behind all of that. But you said that what a mother eats sets up her really 
sort of a lifestyle for the next generation and even after that. So can you just briefly talk a little bit about what you just touched on epigenetics and what we have seen in studies for children, fetuses, for example, that they've done where they've seen the development, the early stages of atherosclerosis and also what you know about the same thing in terms of weight and how if a mother is overweight, then her child has the risk of also developing weight issues. Can you explain that a little bit more for my listeners? Sure, absolutely. So everything you said is correct. And, you know, women who have good nutrition during pregnancy tend to have children with lower risks of a lot of pediatric conditions. So type 1 diabetes, neural tube defects, asthma. And then beyond that, you know, on the epigenetic front, you know, you are really kind of shaping their genetics to either be resilient to disease or be more susceptible to disease later in their life. And that goes for all lifestyle factors. So the exposure to endocrine disruptors, how active they are, how much sleep they're getting, stress exposure, all of those things play a role in kind of shaping the genetic predisposition. That doesn't mean that that child is definitely going to grow up and develop type 2 diabetes, for example, but they're kind of program to be more susceptible to those things. I wonder also if, and we don't have to go into in detail about this at all, but when you were on previously with Dr. Michelle Thompson, we spoke about what trauma-informed work looks like, like working with individuals who are still carrying on childhood trauma, for example. I wonder if sometimes the stressors that pregnant women endure can affect a fetus, a child, in terms of feeling anxiety later on. I don't know if there are any studies related to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. And there are some studies that show that exposure to stress, even preconceptually, even within the six months before conceiving, exposure to extreme stress can actually affect maternal and fetal outcomes. So it can Mm -hmm. make, you know, lower birth weight and, and different things like that. So yes, those things definitely play a role. Wow, incredible. Well, I'm glad we're having this conversation. So Kaylee, you hear this all the time, I'm sure, when you work with people that are first coming on initially to this lifestyle. There are a lot of concerns about, you know, where do you get your protein? What about calcium? And that's just the average person that transitions from, say, a typical standard American diet to eating more plants, but I'm sure you hear it even more with women that are pregnant. So can you tell us if it's safe to to be plant-based and pregnant? Sure. Yeah. And I never fault anyone for asking that question because it, they're really just trying to do best by themselves and, and their baby, which is certainly important. And there are lots of myths and misconceptions out there about what's healthy and what's not during pregnancy. But the fact is that yes, A plant-based diet is not only healthy during pregnancy, it also offers some benefits. So lower risk of certain complications that can happen in in pregnancy. The key is that it needs to be well-planned. And so that's something in their position paper about vegetarian diets, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics states that a well-planned plant-based diet is healthy for all stages of life, including pregnancy, including lactation, but it's got to be well-planned. So just kind of paying attention to those certain nutrients. And really, I mean, any diet needs to be well-planned, right? Or we might be missing out on things. So 
it is healthy and it may be even beneficial. And you talked about it just automatically um, reduces your risk of developing uh, conditions that you could have during your pregnancy. So for example, Dr. Christie spoke about conditions that can arise, right, as a result of pregnancy, like gestational diabetes or preeclampsia. Having weight issues, is that associated with developing these preeclampsia type 2 diabetes? And can a plant-based diet help in maintaining a healthy weight? Yes, absolutely. It, having you know a higher weight does have an association with a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes or gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, things like that. I will also say that focusing too much on weight, we do have a few studies that show focusing too much on weight um, where people feel like they're being stigmatized because of their weight in their pregnancy care or postpartum care is also associated with negative outcomes. So it's a really, I think, delicate balance, especially during this time when a woman's body is changing so much and there's a lot to kind of reckon with in that area. Being careful not to focus too much on weight, but knowing that it is an important factor. And it's a delicate topic. I agree with you. The goal is not to encourage women to be so fixated on their weight that they can't relax and enjoy the process. And, you know, on our show, we talk about being sensitive to the topic of just gaining weight because many women have dealt with disordered eating in their lives. And then, you know, the body begins to do its thing, you have the hormonal issues, and before you know it, you're stress eating or whatever it may be that's happening. I was reading some literature about what healthy weight gain looks like. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, really? Like women are supposed to focus on this? Like you're supposed to gain only about so-and-so each trimester. So I'm thinking if you're so focused on that, like you said, we can start to develop body issues. And that's not the goal with any of this education. The goal is to just support you in making healthier choices. Since we are talking a little little bit about weight issues and what that looks like. Can you tell us what this whole idea of eating for two looks like? Because I remember back in the day, you used to hear it was a lot more common that women said that, that it just sort of gave you a free ticket to kind of indulge and enjoy as much food as you'd like. But in reality, we don't really need to eat as much. Is that right? Yeah. So eating for two can be a bit of a misconception. I do kind of cringe when I hear people saying, well, you don't really actually have to eat for two is kind of a fear, kind of a shock and off effect for women, because we certainly don't want to create fear around eating. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but I'm actually pregnant myself right now, about five months pregnant. And, you know, I've experienced that where some days I have no appetite, or I just feel like I have no space in there (laughs) to eat more, but then some days I'm starving. So you kind of just have to listen to your body. But there are guidelines that are helpful to just kind of know. So you have a rule of thumb. So as far as weight gain goes, there's no additional weight gain recommendation for the first trimester. And then beyond that, it comes out to about a pound a week. And the recommendations are based on what your body mass index was prior to pregnancy. Again, Not everyone's weight gain is going to look like that, like perfectly one pound every week. I know mine certainly has not looked like that. And those are really meant to be just kind of rough guidelines to know if you're, you know, really underweight or if you are gaining really quickly and to just use that as a clue in your healthcare. And then as far as kind of calorie needs or energy needs every day. So in that first trimester, there's no increase in energy needs. Second trimester, 
about 340 calories per day. And then third trimester is about 452 calories per day. So again, it's kind of rough in that second trimester. It's about adding a substantial snack to the day or maybe bumping up your main meals a little bit. And in that third trimester, you're really looking at adding an extra meal to the day with um, 450 calories or a couple of substantial snacks. Okay. And what you just started with um, when you were saying that there are days where you are more hungry than other days, some days you may have very little appetite. And I'm assuming as you're talking about the caloric intake that on a plant-based diet, we have, we're putting in, we probably have to eat just a little bit more in general because of the density of the food. We're talking about the caloric intake during pregnancy, but also sort of, I heard you say intuitive eating is also important. So listening to our bodies, you know, if you're hungry, you know, eat comfortably. But if you're not hungry, are you still encouraged to consume? That would be a little bit difficult, like if you don't have an appetite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is challenging. And that happens to a lot of women, especially in the first trimester when they may be dealing with nausea and symptoms like that where things don't sound good. And then in the third trimester where you're really just dealing with a crowded torso and there's not a lot of space in there for your stomach, so you aren't feeling as hungry. So in those instances, you know, if you, it's good to kind of have an idea of how much food you should be eating in a day. And if you know that you haven't been eating much uh, on a certain day, trying to break those meals into smaller meals, small frequent meals usually work well during those times. And that can help you get what you need in because the fact is your calories don't go up that much, but a lot of nutrient needs actually increase by as much as 50%. So what you're eating needs to really be nutrient dense to meet those needs. Absolutely. Yes. And let's talk about those nutrients. What nutrients should pregnant women pay attention to, especially if they are plant-based? So the first one is protein, ironically. So we often kind of de-emphasize protein in kind of plant-based nutrition because it gets so overemphasized outside of plant-based nutrition. But in pregnancy, your needs do increase by 50%. So making sure that you are getting those plant proteins in every day. And that doesn't mean that we need to be eating meat to meet our needs because, in fact, plant-based proteins offer a lot of benefits during pregnancy. There's been some association with a type of iron, for example, that's found in plant foods resulting in better pregnancy outcomes versus the type of iron that's in animal food. So there are benefits there, but we want to make sure that we're getting those plant-based proteins in at every meal. So hummus for snacks, beans, tofu, putting nuts and seeds in smoothies or on wraps or on bowls to make sure that you're meeting those needs. Absolutely. Well, could you kind of emphasize a little bit, you just gave us a list, but would you say that most plant-based foods have protein? It is true that most do have protein, but we really want to focus on those concentrated sources when needs are so high. So yes, there okay. is protein in broccoli, but beans are going to be a better choice because there's much more in beans. Yeah. I'm glad you covered it because I know that there's always that concern, like you mm -hmm. said, the protein myth that 
we're not getting enough protein on a plant-based diet. And even though I grew up originally from Mexico, I grew up in a very Mexican household and we consume beans, but I think I still consume more beans now <laughs> than when I was growing up just because I have learned to have this like appreciation and love for all legumes, mm. uh, lentils, black beans. Before I just only ate, for example, the pinto beans, right? We normally be part of our dietary intake, but now I'm consuming a lot. So beans, you said nuts and seeds. And what else did you say that other foods that are rich in protein? Yeah, I love that you're kind of experimenting with variety because there really is, you know, so many different kinds of beans out there in particular. So yeah, so any of those beans, lentils, soy foods, so things like tofu, tempeh, soy milk, and then nuts and seeds as well. So whether that's peanut butter, hemp seeds are a really great choice, walnuts, etc. Wonderful. What else should we pay attention to in terms of nutrients? Sure. So omega-3s is another one that comes up quite a bit just in plant-based nutrition in general. And in pregnancy, it becomes even more important because of its role in the baby's development. And just to kind of review, there are three types of omega-3 fatty acids that we often talk about. So there's ALA, EPA, and DHA. ALA we can find in our plant-based foods. So things like flaxseed, chia seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts, those all contain ALA omega-3s. And technically, our body can convert those types of omega-3s into the EPA and DHA, but the conversion can vary from person to person, and it's not super efficient. So most of us can probably get by with just making sure we're eating a lot of those ALA-rich foods in our diet. But in pregnancy, ALA does not actually increase DHA levels in blood and breast milk. And DHA is the one that's really important for baby's development. So that is one that we need to pay attention to. And that's why you hear ACOG and other organizations recommending that pregnant women eat fish. It's coming from that need for DHA. So that is an option. If you eat fish, then you can eat two to three servings. You want to make sure they're low mercury varieties of fish because fish are really susceptible to contaminants in our oceans. So it can be really dangerous to consume high mercury fish with high mercury levels. If you are not doing fish, then you can take a DHA microalgae supplement. And so everyone who is pregnant or breastfeeding should take a DHA microalgae supplement. And microalgae is where fish get their DHA. So we can just kind of go straight to the source and cut out the middleman and get our DHA that way. That's a good point. I actually wondered, because I don't know much about this, which is why I'm asking, I wondered if I thought there was a time when women were discouraged from eating fish during a pregnancy just because of high risk. Was that associated with mercury or was there something else to that? Yes, with the mercury and heavy metal contamination in fish. And it's tough to avoid that. It really is. But there are lists out there that you can, you know, look up low mercury fish. So is the fish oil that typically women do consume, there was a time when I also used fish oil to get obtain my omega-3s. Is that a little bit more regulated than regular fish? I don't know if you'd know that. Sure. Yeah, I would say it's probably not because supplements are so unregulated compared to our food supply. You're not really quite sure what you're getting in certain supplements. So if you're going to take a DHA supplement, I would recommend the microalgae version. 
Great. Thank you for sharing that. And I don't know if you know, Kaylee, but I actually, most of my adult years, I was a pescatarian and Mm. ended up with high levels of mercury. And I had, yeah, a lot of symptoms and going plant-based helped to move the mercury out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I don't want to focus too much on that because it's hard enough when a woman is going through pregnancy to have to worry about yet another thing that could harm their child or their pregnancy. But what you're saying is there are alternatives. So we Mm -hmm. can skip the fish Mm -hmm. and get our omega-3s the same place where fish get theirs. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. What about the rest like folate and iron and all the other nutrients that a pregnant woman needs? Yeah. So we talked about folate a little bit earlier and it's important for that Mm -hmm. neural tube formation. And folate is found in a lot of plant-based foods and plant eaters tend to have higher intake of folate, which is great. But because it's so important, it's really a good idea to also cover your bases with a supplement. And most prenatal vitamins contain folic acid. So you should be covered with that one. But of course, eating those folate rich foods still, the leafy greens and beans is really important as well. And then iron is another really important one. So blood volume increases pretty drastically and iron needs increase by 50% in pregnancy. So another important one to focus on. And the Institute of Medicine actually recommends that people who are fully plant-based might actually need double the amount of iron just because of the bioavailability. That would put pregnant women's needs at about 48 milligrams of iron a day, which is a lot of iron, but Mm -hmm. that kind of represents worst case scenario. So there are some things we can do with the rest of our diet to enhance iron absorption. Okay. And so I also think of iron, I'm thinking of beans. Do we absorb the iron in beans easily? Or like you said, we need a supplement. Food is the first line of defense when it comes to iron. And so, you know, eating beans, eating dark leafy greens, nuts and seeds, soy, things like tofu, they all contain iron. So making sure that those foods are in your daily rotation. And then a couple other things we can do is to pair our iron-rich foods with vitamin C-rich foods, which actually enhances iron absorption. And that might sound complicated, but it's something that we really do kind of naturally anyway. So if you think about making a bowl of oatmeal and you put some almonds in there, that's an iron-rich food. And then you add some strawberries, that's a vitamin C-rich food. Or if you make a stir-fry with tofu and broccoli, then you're pairing iron and vitamin C. So we do it pretty naturally anyway. And then just a couple other things is avoiding tea and coffee during meals because that can inhibit iron absorption. So we drink those outside of meals. Same with calcium supplement if you're taking a calcium supplement for any reason. And then cooking with cast iron cookware actually enhances the iron in food. And so that's another way. Okay. And I do think that we do it naturally. So I was thinking of when we make salads, we sometimes Mm. add, like you said, strawberries or sometimes orange slices or something that flavors the salad nicely. So Mm -hmm. would that combination work as well? Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. And we often think of like citrus fruits and things like that come to mind uh, when we think of vitamin C, but actually greens, cauliflower, broccoli, tomatoes, bell peppers, all of those things have vitamin C in them as well. So if you're not a fruit in your salad fan, then you can use bell peppers or tomatoes. 
Right. And that's what I love about the plant-based lifestyle is that we're so used to before coming into this lifestyle, we were used to just certain categories meeting those nutrients. You know, Mm -hmm. you thought about the orange, for example, like you said, vitamin C, and then, or you think of milk for vitamin D, and then you come into this plant-based lifestyle and there are so many other food groups that fall into, that cover all the nutrients that we need. Wonderful. What else do pregnant women need to look out for? Yeah. So a couple other important ones. One is iodine. So iodine is one that we're kind of aware of with plant-based eating in general, but then again, it plays a really important role in fetal growth and development. So we want to make sure we're meeting needs because needs increase from about 150 micrograms to 220 in pregnancy and then 290 during postpartum and lactation. So a few ways to get iodine from a plant-based diet, sea vegetables have iodine, so seaweeds. Because seaweeds vary so much in their iodine content, they can be really, really high or lower. Um, It's not recommended to rely on that as the sole source of iodine during pregnancy because you can kind of miss out on, on your needs or maybe take in too much. Most prenatals contain iodine, so just make sure that yours does. And then another way is iodized salt. And for some people, that is an easy way. If you are cooking at home and you're not you know, too worried about your sodium consumption, which means you're not eating out a lot, you're not eating a lot of processed food, then you can cook with about a fourth of a teaspoon to a half of a teaspoon and get your iodine that way as well. Okay. I have a question also, since Mm -hmm. you're you're speaking about if needed, adding a little bit of salt, would that be recommended anyway to minimize those kind of leg cramps that sometimes pregnant women experience? Yeah. So those could be from many different things. They could be from, you know, low sodium consumption, dehydration, and then also just mechanically your body might be kind of pinching nerves and or preventing blood flow. So a good way, I certainly get that in my legs now if I'm sitting at my desk for too long. So getting up and moving around or doing legs up the wall like you do in a yoga class can be really helpful for that. But yes, if you are a person that's consuming very little sodium, then that might be a helpful thing. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. I see other things like calcium and vitamin D. And I was just thinking Mm -hmm. right now as it's cold outside and we're going on vacation on Thursday. So it's okay. But my husband was like, look at how cold it's going to get in Dallas. It's like we (laughs) skip fall and we're going straight into winter. And Uh I'm thinking of vitamin D spending time in the sun. How do you do it when it's cold? You know? Right. Yeah. That can be very tricky. Yeah. So vitamin D and calcium needs actually don't increase during pregnancy, but your body does increase absorption of those things, which is really kind of a cool thing. But you do want to make sure that you're meeting those baseline needs because before pregnancy, it's easier to kind of get away with mild deficiency or just low levels of calcium and vitamin D. They don't really show up the way other nutrient deficiencies do immediately. So you want to make sure that those are topped off and you're all good when you're in your pregnancy phase. And so for calcium, you know, aiming for about eight mini servings of calcium rich foods a day, again, that sounds complicated, but it's you're probably already doing it if you're eating a varied plant based diet. So half a cup of veggies, leafy greens is going to count as a mini serving half a glass of uh, soy milk that's fortified with calcium would count fourth of a cup of nuts or dried fruit would count. So making sure that you're getting those calcium rich foods, again, most prenatals include a little bit of calcium to kind of help cover bases. 
And then vitamin D, same thing. The best thing with vitamin D is to get your levels checked first and see what your levels are and then kind of supplement accordingly there. So again, most prenatals include some amount of vitamin D, but you may need extra on top of that, depending on what your levels are. Great. And then we always talk about vitamin B12. It sounds like there might be a deficiency. Even if you're consuming red meat, animal products, you're not necessarily guaranteed to get adequate amounts of B12. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So B12 deficiency is a little bit more common in non-plant eaters than what we might think it is. And needs do increase during pregnancy. So you're trying to address higher needs then. Um, So if you are eating a plant-based diet, then you want to take a vitamin B12 supplement. Prenatals usually have some amount of B12, but you'll really want to check and see what that amount is. Minimum is about 25 micrograms a day, maybe up to 50 micrograms a day. One difference in pregnancy is I always recommend the daily B12 supplement versus the weekly. Sometimes you can take one that just covers your basis for the week because we can store a little bit of B12. Um, But there's some evidence that baby can't access mom's stores of B12. And so baby needs that regular intake to get their B12. So taking that daily supplement is important. Okay. And I'm curious if you have a recommendation on your website, Plant-Based Mavens, in terms of a particular brand for B12. Yeah, I do. And I can actually share a link with you so your listeners can download a free prenatal guide so they can you know, see kind of a checklist Mm. of what should they be a plant-based mom be looking for in a prenatal supplement, because it's crazy how different they are. They all vary in the amounts of different nutrients. So I kind of put together a checklist that just says, you know, look for these amounts. And then it has some brand recommendations as well. Perfect. And not only that, but the other considerations when it comes to a supplement, you know, what is it encased in? I don't know if that's the right word, but I know that sometimes we as vegans are looking for certain products that are vegan. Mm -hmm. You never know about supplements. Now, there is one other thing you haven't mentioned, the choline. Is that something that you can get with prenatal supplement? Yeah, that's a great question. And choline is kind of a new kid on the block when it comes to pregnancy nutrition We're just now learning a lot about how important it is for brain development, cognitive development for babies. And most women actually don't meet choline needs, even if they eat animal products. And then on top of that, a plant-based diet tends to be pretty low in choline. So there aren't any official recommendations for this one. But a good suggestion is that if you eat a fully plant-based diet, During pregnancy, it might be a good idea to supplement with about half of your needs. So about 225 milligrams is half of the needs during pregnancy. And you can find supplements for that. If you eat eggs, you can get it that way and from other animal products as well. But it is an important one. That's a good one. Of course, I why would I know this, but still, it's good to know that you can supplement so you can get a supplement for choline if you're not mm-hmm. consuming eggs. Okay. Right. Would you recommend that women consume eggs to get choline? If they want to, if that's their preference, then they certainly can. Personally, I chose to take a supplement. So that's how I'm getting my choline during my pregnancy because I don't consume any animal products. 
But there are plant-based foods that do have choline. So you could make sure that you're you know, eating those semi-regularly as well. So shiitake mushrooms, soy milk, kidney beans, quinoa, those all contain choline as well. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited that you have a pregnancy guide that listeners can download so that they can get this information they can work with during their pregnancy, and especially women that are, are working and pregnant and stay very busy. I'm sure they could use a handout like this so that they can mm-hmm. just check things off and make sure that they're getting all your recommendations. So let's talk about discomforts. I'm wondering if you're having any of the symptoms, but women often battle with like morning sickness or constipation. I'm sure that's a hard one. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us some of the symptoms that women experience and if the plant-based lifestyle can help alleviate some of the discomfort? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's lots of phases and experiences that you go through during pregnancy, lots of symptoms and things that you didn't know that were part of it. For example, stuffy nose, I didn't know that that was a common symptom of pregnancy, but I certainly experienced that. I'm a big fan of looking for natural remedies or lifestyle remedies first before opting for medication. So morning sickness, you mentioned that's a really common one. And that happens in the first trimester for most women, but can extend past that for some. Some ways that you can deal with that naturally, uh, ginger and mint are great. So either making teas out of those two things, ginger tea or a, a mint tea, peppermint tea, even just breath mints can be helpful. That mint flavor can be helpful. They uh, make ginger candies or ginger chews that are pretty low sugar. So it's not like you're actually eating a lot of candy, but sucking on those can be helpful as well. I know one thing that's very helpful for a lot of women for morning sickness is to just keep your blood sugar steady. So not letting yourself get too hungry. And really, you kind of have to release expectations. I certainly experienced this in my first trimester of getting of eating this perfectly healthy diet. I ate a lot of toast in my first trimester and that's okay. And that's why we take prenatal vitamins to help us cover our bases. You just have to get something. And, you know, if a smoothie sounds good, then that can be a really good way to fit in a lot of nutrition if you're not feeling up for eating. It's going back to being gentle with yourself and self-care. So not, I love that, not having expectations, not trying to be perfect throughout Mm -hmm. this pregnancy, but just, you know, doing the best that you can, especially when you're having morning sickness or Mm -hmm. you're, I don't know if you experience brain fog, but I know I do. And I... (laughs) (laughs) As you age, you're going to experience brain fog, but all those other discomforts, you probably just want to be a little bit more gentle with yourself in general. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Constipation is a tough one. Why is that? Is it more related to dehydration or not having enough fiber? What contributes to that? Yeah, so it can certainly be those things. Also, during pregnancy, the hormone changes actually relax the digestive tract. And so things just move slower. So that can cause indigestion and heartburn. And then it can also cause constipation. Those can both contribute to that. So, you know, really making sure you're having your eating fiber, that is really helpful. And a lot of water. So making sure that those two things are part of your day and then moving. And I know that that was actually something that helped me with morning sickness, even if I didn't feel really excited about getting up and moving, if I could just get myself outside and go for a walk or do a little bit of stretching or yoga, 
that can really help with morning sickness and it can also help keep digestion regular as well. Wow, that's interesting. Had no idea that walking could help. And Mm -hmm. some of these symptoms, more specifically the morning sickness, is does that typically happen early in the pregnancy or can a woman experience it throughout her entire pregnancy? Yeah, both. So typically it's associated with that first trimester, the beginning of pregnancy. And most women, once they cross over into the second trimester, are relieved of the morning sickness. But other women do experience that on and off throughout their pregnancy, unfortunately. All right. Okay. Anything else that we need to consider and associated with pregnancy symptoms? So I mentioned heartburn and reflux, which can happen with that slowing of the digestive tract. So small frequent meals can be really helpful for that. Avoiding really high fat or oily foods, which can contribute to heartburn. And then trying to not eat right before bed or not eating a big meal right before bed. So I know a lot of women will wake up really hungry if they don't eat right before bed. So eat an early dinner and then maybe a smaller snack before bed can help with that heartburn. Mm -hmm. Okay. And also, well, since we're speaking about what to avoid in terms of food during the pregnancy, you're saying just avoid some of the foods that can aggravate or can cause sort of acid reflux late at night. Mm -hmm. What about coffee? Should uh, pregnant women stay away from coffee? Yeah, it's a good question. And based on the evidence that we have right now, it's really kind of a personal choice because the evidence is pretty mixed on whether bad or good or okay or not okay. ACOG recommends that women don't consume more than 200 milligrams a day, which is a two six ounce cups of coffee. That's coffee brewed at home. So if you go to Starbucks or a coffee shop, it's probably going to be much stronger there. So you really just need to listen to your body and see how you respond to caffeine. If you can go caffeine free, then that's great. All right. Well, this is all the recommendations are great. And like you said, it's more it's a personal choice. Mm -hmm. You're just sharing with us what the evidence shows to be sort of the optimal way uh, to have a healthy pregnancy. I mean, there are other things that you can do, but you're making recommendations. So I want to add as we talk about the other pillars of lifestyle medicine, I want to add that an adult niece of mine a couple of years ago, well, it's been a while, (laughs) was trying to induce her labor or just, you know, how they say to some of the recommendations are to exercise a little more, walk a little more as you're approaching your delivery date. And I remember we tried everything, you know, we were there with her to support her. And one day we were at the mall and we saw this place that has like reflexology where they do pressure points Mm -hmm. on the feet. And I'm not recommending this at all because I'm not a doctor. So I don't know what the best thing to do is. But Mm -hmm. I remember that I said, I will pay for you to have this done if it's going to make you feel better. (laughs) And she said, okay. So they gave her like a nice foot massage and some pressure points on her feet. And we just finished walking them all. Sure enough, that did it. She went into labor just a few hours later. But more than anything... Right. More than anything, what I felt was the benefit is just having that foot massage because you carry Mm -hmm. so much weight and the stressors of being pregnant. Mm -hmm. So that was a fun fact. And she always says that it was because of you, Thea. Thea (laughs) means like auntie. Uh (laughs) It was because of you that I had my baby. And so... But we know that lifestyle medicine has all these wonderful recommendations that can support women during their pregnancy. I was wondering if you have time, if you can go over some of those other recommendations in terms of how women can self-care. 
Sure. Yeah. And just speaking to kind of labor and birth and making that process smoother, inducing it, there certainly are natural things like acupressure, acupuncture. Um, Certainly you want to be in communication with your healthcare provider before you start adding those things. Um, But another cool one is eating dates. And the recommendation is usually about at 36, 37 weeks, eating three to four dates a day can actually help help for an easier labor. And then red raspberry leaf tea also has a lot of data behind it. So drinking that, especially in your third trimester, a cup or two a day can actually help with a smoother, easier labor. And just as a a resource for these types of things, there's a website called Evidence-Based Birth that you can literally search a topic like dates and or acupuncture or acupressure, and it will show you all the data on that topic. So it can be really helpful when you're trying to navigate all of these different things. This is so cool. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I'm going to share it with family members. Kaylee, before we talk about, there was a question that I had that I I didn't cover related to nutrition. So I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if I can still ask you about it. So we know that there are people that come on the plant-based diet also have concerns about whether they should avoid or only consume certain produce that's organic, and that can be costly for some individuals. Do you have a perspective on that? Should women, when they're eating more greens or more berries, should they consider buying organic? Yeah, I think, you know, my, my opinion is yes, if it's possible for you. And if it's not possible, whether that's economically or access at your grocery store, whatever it might be, Consuming a lot of fruits and vegetables, no matter if they're conventional or organic, is the number one priority. So do that first. And then if you're able to choose things, choose organic things, or then that's a great option. And you can use the Environmental Working Group Sturdy Dozen Clean 15 if you want to prioritize what things you buy organic. That's a good way to go as well. Okay. And if they choose not organic, because we know that organic foods can cost a little more. Believe Mm -hmm. me, we do groceries all the time, right? You and I, and (laughs) all all of us, and we're always comparing prices. Is there a solution that you could offer for giving our vegetables a good rinse in case they have been exposed to pesticides or besides? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just, I mean, rinsing with water is the best way to go for those things. And in general, if you think about things where you're not eating the skin, then those are the best things to buy conventional. So like a banana or an avocado, you know, you're not eating the part, the main part that was sprayed with pesticides. For things like berries, where we are eating the skin, then that's a place where we might want to prioritize organic items. Yeah, I'm so obsessed with that whole thing. When I see my husband pull something out of the fridge and eat it directly like uh-huh. an apple or, or, or a cherry, I'm just like, you got to rinse it. Right. <laughs> you got to rinse your produce. <laughs> Give them a good bath right before you consume them. Right. Okay, great. Right. So we were talking about the, your recommendation of the evidence-based births website. Um, mm-hmm. Just other, like you said, anything additional kind of holistic approaches to having a good delivery? And then can you talk about like movement and the importance of sleep and how women can manage some of the stress they may have during pregnancy? Sure. Yeah. So movement is one that's really important. And that's one that often slips during pregnancy for many reasons. Some women are just afraid of doing, you know, strenuous exercise or even non-strenuous exercise because they're not sure if it is hurting the baby or if they shouldn't be doing that. Or 
these symptoms that they're having, like morning sickness, are preventing them from wanting to move their bodies or they're just tired, you know. But as much as possible, prioritizing movement during pregnancy is really important and it does tend to lead to easier labor, less complications, less need for pain medications. So it's associated with all of those things. So staying active is great. And I'm not sure of the validity of this, but I read in one of the books that I read that labor and birth, the energy requirements of that is about equivalent to a 50 mile hike. So it's certainly very physical endeavor. So having a sense of muscle tone and flexibility is really important during that. Wow, that helps understand why women are just so exhausted afterwards and probably don't even want it's like don't come see me after I deliver give me a break right unless you're gonna hold the baby while I sleep then that's right wow that's incredible yeah and uh, the recommendations are actually the same as they are pre-pregnancy so about 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise. The really important thing is to listen to your body during that time because there are modifications that need to be done. So for example, it becomes unsafe at a certain time of pregnancy to lay flat on your back because of the pressure that everything puts puts on kind of blood flow. So you'll need to modify certain exercises. So perhaps speaking to fitness professional who's educated in prenatal exercise would be important just so you know how to adjust things and do things that feel good because pregnancy is an opportunity to be with your body and get to know your body on a whole different level. And so do things that feel good to you, that feel nourishing to you during that time. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, as you're describing all of this support for women, I'm thinking of back in the day, probably my mother's generation or even mine, I don't remember where mm-hmm. women would attend Lamas classes. Mm-hmm. Um, they were popular at one time. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you know, I've always saw that as a form of self-care. You know, you're mm-hmm. learning how to breathe, how, and who knows if all of that goes out the window once a woman is actually in labor. <laughs> She's probably like, whatever, to the breathing exercises. But I saw it as a way to bond with your partner, that wow. you're doing this, however often you would attend, like once a week with other pregnant women. So you're probably feeling supported and finding something in common with others. You're practicing your breathing exercises. You're really coming, you're presencing yourself in your body as a pregnant woman. Mm -hmm. Do you know if there are groups like that anymore? Yes, absolutely. So I know that most hospitals or birthing centers offer some kind of childbirth education class. And then online, you can find lots of different classes. And you know, there's Lamaze, there's hypnobirthing, there's all sorts of different methodologies. And so you kind of find the one that resonates with you the most. But I know my husband and I did virtual five-week childbirth education class. So for three hours every Sunday, we met virtually with our instructor and other other couples who were expecting as well. And social support and having that sense of connection either with your partner or with someone like a teacher, a doula, a midwife, whoever that might be for you. And then other people who are going through the experience at the same time that you are is really important and really impactful in people's mental well-being during that time. Absolutely. You were speaking about, you know, sleep hygiene and how it's important not to lay flat on your back is something that we don't want to do. Do you have other recommendations that women can do to try to kind of ease, you know, as you're dealing with the body changing, your sleep probably gets disrupted. What can they Mm -hmm. do to sleep better during that time? 
Yeah. So I would say the first thing is to figure out a way to sleep comfortably. So it's hard if you're used to sleeping on your back or used to sleeping on your stomach because now you're you know, stuck with sleeping on your side and they recommend it's your left side versus your right side. And so that can get uncomfortable for a lot of people. So they make a lot of great pregnancy pillows and body pillows. And you can also just use a bunch of pillows from your own bed if that works. But just finding a way to support your body so that you feel you feel comfortable and can sleep. So I know that for me, I have a big pregnancy pillow that kind of wraps around me and gives me back support. And then also a smaller pillow that goes underneath of my belly and kind of lifts it up a little bit. So it's not pulling on my back when I'm sleeping. So that can be really helpful as well. Okay, great recommendations. And I also assume that if a woman is if this is her second or third pregnancy, pregnancy, then she still has that one child to care for and on top of other responsibilities. So that can be very difficult. When you were on previously, you spoke about environmental toxins and more so uh, associated with personal care products, household products. And we know that pregnant women are kind of sometimes bombarded with, you know, you should have this, you should have that to ease pregnancy. I wonder if you can talk about that, like the environmental toxins found in products Mm -hmm. and another one not associated with environmental toxins, but I've heard that rubbing like vitamin E on the belly helps to reduce the stretch marks. I was wondering if you can talk about that as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So environmental toxins is a topic. We talked a lot about that in our last conversation together. And it's a really important one for women's health because a lot of the chemicals that are used in plastics, in pesticides, in personal care products and cleaning products, endocrine disruptors, which means they disrupt our hormones. And so that can lead to a lot of reproductive issues. So whether that's irregular periods or early onset puberty, early onset menopause, PCOS, infertility. So certainly all of these things matter a lot during pregnancy. And you have not only yourself and your own health to worry about during that time, there's also a baby involved. And babies are much more sensitive to those chemicals than adults are. They're much less able to um, process them or eliminate them compared to adults. So really important to prioritize kind of reducing those in the products that you're using. So the good news is there's a lot of great kind of more natural products out there, things that don't have those chemicals in them that are available for pregnant moms. There's a few different brands that people will be able to find that have everything from baby products, so things like diaper balm, to things for mom as well. So you mentioned rubbing things on your belly. So there's a lot of great, um, they're called salves that you can rub on your skin. And so they are essentially some kind of oil, like a coconut oil, almond oil, infused with herbs that are really good for your skin. And so that can help with preventing stretch marks. Also, when your skin is stretching, it tends to get really itchy and uncomfortable. So it can help kind of soothe that as well. Okay, that Mm -hmm. sounds like self care already. Yes. Speaking of are salt baths like Epsom salt baths safe for pregnant women? Yes, those can be really great. And if you are dealing with itchy skin, I know that can be a common symptom. An oatmeal bath can also be an option. So you can do Epsom salt with some essential oils like chamomile or lavender in there. And an oatmeal bath, you really just take oatmeal rolled oats and grind them into a really fine powder. 
and add that to the bath water and it makes bath water kind of milky. And that can really help with the soothing the skin as well. Wonderful. Yeah. So some of these recommendations, are they also found on your website and more specifically those associated with the environmental toxins? Yes, so I do have quite a bit of information on my website on plantbasedmavens.com with product recommendations. I have a low toxin guide that has a ton of product recommendations. I can make sure that you have the link to that and that's free as well. And then the environmental working group also has a lot of resources. So they have a app that you can download and you can actually scan right from your phone the products in your house and it will give you their rating as far as the chemicals that they contain. And then they also give recommendations on kind of the top products that are rated really well based on their ingredients to help you uh, make swaps. So cool. Yes, Mm -hmm. I definitely look at that list. And mainly because I eat a lot more berries now than I did in my younger Uh years. So (laughs) and I also noticed that I have my favorite organic blueberries, the brand, you know, so I taste Mm -hmm. them here and there, depending on where I'm at. And there are some that I like a lot more. So now, say that we have listeners who are new to this idea of, you know, being plant based and might be either planning a pregnancy or are currently pregnant. Do you have some resources that you recommend for uh, women who are ready to make that change or want to incorporate more plant-based foods while they're pregnant? Sure. Yeah. So of course, Plant-Based Mavens, my website has a lot of great information on nutrition, especially in pregnancy and then just in women's health in general. Uh, So that's a great place to go to just get some free information. I'm also always happy to chat about those types of things. So in reaching me through Instagram is a great way, plant-based at plant-based mavens. And I'm happy to offer advice if I can. The Vegetarian Nutrition Dietetic Practice Group is an organization and I can share the link with you, Maya, so your listeners have yes. that. And they have some handouts that are made by dietitians on plant-based pregnancy and plant-based lactation nutrition that can be really helpful And then kind of outside the nutrition realm, just some other resources that I've found helpful and clients have found helpful. I don't know if you're familiar with the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. Have you heard of that program? Um, Please tell us more. I haven't. Sure. Yeah. So it's an evidence-based program. It was, I think, originally developed for people going through cancer treatment, and it's a mindfulness program. And it's really well-known and really effective in a lot of different areas for pain management and reducing stress for different reasons. And they've actually adapted a version for birth. And there's a book called Mindful Birthing that talks about it. And then they have resources online as well. They have classes and different free resources, free meditations and things that are really great. The Headspace app, they have pregnancy meditations, which are really great just to kind of bring that relaxation and mindfulness aspect. And then there's another app. I haven't experienced experienced this one much, but it's called Expectful, and it has a lot of mindfulness tools for pregnancy as well. This is so cool. I'm going to check these things out, (laughs) even though I'm not in that area. (laughs) But it's amazing, Kaylee, how many guests come on the show and make recommendations to content. And then I end up buying the book or whatever it may be. And I'm reading. And that's how I learned. So many of the books that I'm now reading come from someone that makes just throws out the title. And I'm curious enough to where I go and I read this stuff. Uh This whole idea of mindfulness or mindful birthing is fascinating to me. Me. So I'm going to mm-hmm. explore that and share it, of course, 
mm-hmm. with the ladies, but it's the whole idea of I've always felt like that's so sacred. Mm-hmm. Birthing is so sacred. And I feel like there should be like more mindfulness to it, more of a ceremonial, more of a welcoming this beautiful being into our lives and into the world. So Mm -hmm. I can't wait to explore all of that. And I want to add when you were talking about just meditation that I find it's so valuable just taking up even if I'm doing a guided meditation with audio, like you said, like headspace, Mm -hmm. or I do the mindful walking with guided meditation. It's amazing just a couple of minutes of doing that per day, how that changes my mindset, my energy, someone like myself needs all of that to relax mm-hmm. and to ground. So definitely, I this is that. great stuff. Yeah, yes. I love that. it is so important. It's so helpful to even just to be with what is, which is something that during pregnancy and birth, and even postpartum, you have to kind of embrace what is and what will be. And it can really help with that as well. Definitely. And then I will make sure that I add links to other conversations that I had to this episode associated with like plant-based pediatricians, because Mm -hmm. I'm sure that after that come the questions of, okay, so I've had this pregnancy on a plant-based diet. Now, what about my child? Right. Like, is it safe? You know, and we continue Mm -hmm. the conversation with that. But if there's anything you'd like to add about that, please feel free. Sure. So again, it is safe during any stage of the life cycle, including for babies, toddlers, children. And again, that well-planned piece is really important. So knowing what foods are really important and knowing, for example, that kids need a lot more fat than adults do. Mm -hmm. So a really low fat plant-based diet would not be appropriate. And then certain supplements that are important as well. So glad that you've interviewed people on that topic because I think it was Mm -hmm. such a scary thing for a lot of parents because there wasn't a lot of information and you just kind of get scared into, you know, giving your kid the whole milk because that's what the pediatrician says to do. So that's so great that you have that information available. Yes, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, Kaylee, congratulations on your pregnancy. And I'm assuming this is your first one. Yes. Yes? Yep, it is. Okay. Yep. Yes. Learning all of this as I go (laughs) to. Well, that was what I was going to ask you is, are you sharing this on your group? I have a Facebook page. Kind of a closed community is in the work. So stay tuned for that. Yes. (laughs) It seems to me that women would really want to be part of a Facebook group and Mm -hmm. have interest in sharing tips and encouraging one another. But I love what you created with Plant-Based Mavens. And I'm so thankful that you were on today to share with us all these tips that, you know, can be concerning sometimes for women, for anyone really that comes on board consuming a plant-based diet, but then they go on to have children and then they want to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And so you being a registered dietitian and being trained in lifestyle medicine would know what are the best foods for a pregnancy. And again, we want to encourage women just to really self-care, not focus too much on weight gain, not focus too much on doing it all perfect and listening Mm -hmm. to your body. You talk about intuitive eating as well. Is there Anything else you'd like to say, something I might have forgotten to ask or a final message for our listeners? Yeah, well, I love all that that you shared. And that's really the goal. You know, my goal is to, especially during a time like pregnancy, when anxieties and worries can be really high, is to provide trustworthy information and also make it fun and inviting and know that you have a lot of space and flexibility. So don't get too hung up on being perfect about whether that's 
um, how many calories you're eating or what nutrients you're taking in or how many hours of sleep you're getting. You just have to do the best you can and really listen to your body. Absolutely. Thank you, Kaylee Anderson, for being on the show again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maya. It was so wonderful as always. Thank you, Kaylee, for sharing many resources to support expectant mothers and women interested in this content. Kaylee, an expectant mother, made excellent prenatal nutrition and lifestyle medicine recommendations. A plant-based diet rich in whole foods like beans, grains, fruits, and vegetables offers optimal nutrition for both mother and child. Research has shown that vegetarian mothers have no greater risk of adverse pregnancy outcomes than non-vegetarian mothers. A vegan diet may offer many benefits during pregnancy. Let's go over some of those recommendations. Number one, choose nutrient-rich foods over those that are high in fat, sugar, and empty calories. To meet your increased calorie needs during pregnancy, eat nutrient-rich foods instead of those that are high in fat, sugar, and empty calories. Include plenty of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and beans. Fortified foods or supplements can help you get the necessary nutrients, especially if you follow a vegetarian or vegan diet. To ensure that you're getting the nutrients you need, talk to your doctor or a registered dietitian about what's best for you, and they can help you create a healthy eating plan that meets your needs. Number two, Kaylee spoke about calcium, essential fats, folate, iron, protein, B12, B, vitamin D, zinc, and iodine in your diet. To ensure that you get all the nutrients that you need during your pregnancy, focus on eating various nutritious foods like the ones mentioned above. Also consider getting a prenatal supplement that includes some of these essential nutrients. And finally, number three, practice self-care. Kaylee made excellent recommendations about getting adequate sleep, taking walks regularly, and being gentle with oneself. Look into mindfulness apps, take online birthing classes, and check out plantbasedmavens.com for additional resources. We hope that this information has been valuable. I'd love to hear what you thought about today's conversation. Are you an expectant mother? Were some of your concerns addressed? You can now leave me a voicemail at speakpipe.com forward slash HLS. And as always, my friends, thank you for being listeners. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. Thanks for listening.